So about a, a week and a bit ago, uh, the President of the United States uh, nicknamed the leader of North Korea, um, Little Rocket Man. Did you hear that? Little Rocket Man. Um, and I quote, he said, Little Rocket Man should have been handled a long time ago. And it's true, I think, that um, the crisis that's escalating with North Korea is a big issue and, uh, you know, perhaps one of the gravest and greatest issues of our day on a global level. Um, we're talking about nuclear weapons. It doesn't get bigger than that. If, if it does, let me know. <laughs> I don't think it does. Um, but something interesting that I've been reflecting on as I've been you know, thinking about this crisis out there is that I think it often distracts us um, from another problem. I don't think the problem is just out there. I think it's easy, especially with celebrity leaders, um, to get distracted and say, the problems with them, the problems with that issue, North Korea, the United States, Kim Jong-un, Little Rocket Man, the problems with him. But I think what this story in Genesis 4 wants to say today, what I think it wants to suggest to us is that the problem isn't just out there, but there's also a problem in here. There's a problem with, with me, there's a problem with you, with every one of us. North Korea, Little Rocket Man, is a problem. So is Big Wig Man, by the way, I think. I don't think it'll stick as much. Um, but there's a bigger problem here. I think we're so busy pointing the finger at Little Rocket Man that we forget that each one of us, me included, is a Little Rocket Man or a Little Rocket Woman. And so today I want to look at the Bibles, if... if if I, if I may, the Bible's little rocket man. I want to look at Cain. Uh, because I think by doing so, we're actually holding up a bit of a mirror to ourselves. And I want to ask the question, what is so destructive about Cain and who he is? Why is he so dangerous? Why is he so destructive? Uh, and I think we find three things. And they're this. The first one's the unlove of God. The second one's the unlove of his brother, and the third one's the unlove of self. I know unlove isn't necessarily a trending word. I think it's in the dictionary. You can Google it. But I think we all know what it means. So firstly, the unlove of God. First and foremostly, I think this is a story uh, not about Cain and Abel. It's a story about Cain and God. The context of everything that's about to happen is in this story context of Cain's relationship with God. Have a look at verse 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil as an offering to the Lord. That's the context. It, an offering to the Lord. That's worship. This is, the context is, God, is, is Cain's relationship with God. That's the first thing that's important to see here. Don't think this is about a relationship between two brothers it's a relationship, it has to do with that, but first and foremostly, it's a relationship between Cain and God and between Abel and God. What is an offering? Uh, an offering, I just, you know, it's hard to tell, this is some ancient literature, but worship 
has to do with, and offerings are a part of worship, worship has to do with valuing something. And we know this, we show what we value by what we're willing to give up, don't we? And so an offering is, is purely saying to God, uh, it's showing Him that you value Him and that you love Him by saying, here God, here's something that's really important to me in my life, here's something really valuable to me, but I'm willing to give it up because I value you more. I think it's that simple. That's what's going on here. Now, I want you to notice the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering. I think it's really obvious. I think the text underlines it. Notice there in verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Abel brings the best of the best, fat portions of the firstborn. Cain, he just brings, and the language there in the text, I love it, some of. He just brings some of his fruits. I think we pick this up, don't we, that there's something deeper going on here. It's about the love and respect that they have for God. Abe holds nothing back in giving something to God, whereas Cain holds something back. Abel knew there was a good and right way of honouring God. In fact, there's only one way to honour God, and that's with the best that you have. Whereas Cain, he thinks he's withholding something less than that is good and that is right to honour to God with. Because he, I think he's, he thinks he can get away with something. He's offering the minimum requirement without God noticing. He's faking it. His heart's not in it. He's turning up and he's left his heart at home. I think what's interesting is that I don't think the fruit, I don't think it mattered that it was fruit. I don't think it mattered that it was from Abel's flock. I don't think it was about that. I think it's about the heart behind it. Because we know what a, a good and right offering to God is. It's wholehearted. It's not holding back. I want you to think about uh, a gift that you might have brought or bought for someone, something you've made or something you bought from a shop. Uh, maybe you brought it for somebody for their birthday party. Maybe it was a dinner party. Um, and you know, as you were driving along in the car on the way to the party, you know the gift uh, was pulling up a bit short. You know, it, you thought, maybe I should have got the more expensive one. Maybe they deserve better than this. Ever had that feeling? I don't know about you, but I often buy wine uh, a little bit like this. I choose wine based on the label. I'm glad Fred Chilton's not here today, by the way. Um, I buy wine on the label, not because I think there's a particular relationship between the label and the, what's inside, although, you know, we like to think there is, don't we? But because I think, and I'm not like this, so I still want you to invite me to your Christmas dinner parties, um, I used to think that I know this bottle's going to look good on the table. I know it's going to look good. People go, ooh, what if you... That's, you know... Obviously, in that moment, I'm thinking more about myself and what people think about me than I'm thinking about the giver of... Sorry, than I think about the person I'm going to, the person who, who I've prepared the gift for. 
I'm more concerned about what I look like. See, I think both Cain and Abel worship. They both turn up. But only one's heart seems to be in the right place. And his actions show that. Abel's actions show that. Uh, We're going to look at the New Testament a little bit. I want you to stay on page 4, I think it is, or in in Genesis chapter 4. I want you to stay there. But the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, talks about Cain and Abel, and it helps us understand what's going on here. I think that's really helpful, right? Because, I mean, it's such a condensed story. Hebrews 11 verse 4, it says this, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. That's the difference, apparently. Abel came with faith. Cain came without faith. What is faith? I think faith is a love for God. Faith's a, res- a trust in God, a belief that God is there and that He matters. Cain turned up with plenty of that. Uh, sorry, Abel turned up with plenty of that. Cain turned up without that. One way of talking about Cain then in this respect, in, the, in respect to faith, is to say that Cain was short-sighted. Abel could see God. He could see the bigger picture. He knew what was important in life. He knew what really mattered. Whereas Cain, the only thing he was sure about was himself. Or at least he thought he was. He wasn't sure of God at all. You know, I, I wonder where in life we try and believe in ourselves more than we believe in God. You know, we think, uh, in particular areas of our lives, we go, I'm not going to think about the bigger picture, I'm not going to think about God in this, I'm just going to think about me, just going to think about myself. In what areas of your life are you not trusting God for, where you think actually by holding on, I'm going to come out on top here rather than showing God that you value and trust Him more than what you have in your own hands. See, God doesn't ask us for more than what we have, but He does ask for all of what we have. He doesn't ask for more than what we have, but He does ask for all of what we have. I just want to Um, make a side point here because we've got a tiny bit of time Um, and that is to say also I don't think it's about the occupation that Cain or Abel had I kind of mentioned this before it's not about the occupation but it is about the offering it's not about the occupation but I think about that it is about the offering I think some of us think that one occupation or another one vocation what we do with our lives has more opportunity to worship God, to be a pleasing offering to God than another. That's not true. It's the offering that counts. It's how we give, not what we give. Being a doctor, a minister, a lawyer, a teacher, a nurse, a mother, a father, a mechanic, a student, a cleaner, none are better than the others in terms of your capacity to worship God through them to show God how much you value Him. Because worship comes down not to what we give, but how we give it. um, In October this year, we celebrate 500 years of the Reformation. And so I thought I'd quote Martin Luther 
He was great on this, thinking about our jobs. Uh, you noticed that, didn't you? Cain uh, was, he toiled the land. Abel was a farmer. Genesis goes on actually to talk about musicians, the first musicians ever, and also the first metal makers. And I think part of the text is saying that no, no one occupation is better than another. And Martin Luther says this, he says, it's pure fiction that popes, that pope, bishop, bishops, priests, monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, farmers are called the temporal estate. What he's saying is, it's, it's pure fiction that some of these jobs are kind of spiritual and, and some aren't. He says, this is indeed a piece of deceit and hypocrisy, yet no one be, need be intimidated by it, and that for this reason. All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate, and there is no difference among them except what they do. We're all consecrated by baptism. As St. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. Fast forward 500 years and uh, the English writer, Dorothy Sawyers, she writes this, what is the Christian understanding of work? How should we understand work as Christians? Is it that work is not primarily, uh, it is, that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he or she offers himself or herself to God. What an opportunity for work, your job, your work. Whatever it is this week, you can express your worship to God through it. All right, back to our main point. Cain has unlove towards God. He doesn't love God. And that's his first mistake. That's what leads him to destruction. The second thing we notice about Cain is that he has unlove towards his brother. The next part of the story, if you're with me, is that Cain murders Abel. He murders his brother. According to uh, the copious amounts of crime fiction that I have read and watched in my brief lifespan, I know one thing about a murder is that to really prove that the murderer is the murderer, you have to know that he has a motive. He has to have a reason to kill someone. What is Cain's motive for killing his brother? Well, this indeed, turning to the New Testament, is a question that we find answered there. Uh, the Apostle John writes, Do not be like Cain. This is in 1 John chapter 3. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, but his brothers were righteous. Envy is his motive. Envy leads him to be angry, to hate his brother, and then to murder him. And what's he envious of? He's envious of Abel's acceptance by God. God is happy with what Abel brings to the table. And so Cain turns on him. It's remarkable, isn't it, the capacity that you and I share to hate another. Maybe you don't experience this, maybe it's just me. 
But to hate someone who is better than us or has something that we don't have. I don't know what it is for you. Uh, For me, it's the River Cottage guy. (laughs) The Australian River Cottage guy. I know him by name. Paul West. (laughs) I want what he has. A better beard. A farm on the south coast of New South Wales. And a TV show to go with it. I have envy for what he has. Is this not how we feel about the person who has a better degree, a better job, a better lifestyle, a better brain, a better house, a better car, a better bonus, a better holiday? You're here. (laughs) A better relationship, a better diet, a better personality, better friends, better health, better financial situation, better family, a better deal, better kids, better talent, better teeth doesn't matter what it is, but it seems like God smiles on them, and I want it. And I don't care if I've got to kill them in the process. I want it. It's important to realize that you want what they have. It's not about wanting to be them necessarily, but about wanting what they have. Abel is accepted by God. That's what Cain wants deep down. He wants, remember this is, the context is God's, Cain's relationship with God. He wants to be accepted by God ultimately. This should never have had to be a story about Cain and Abel. This should have just been a story about Cain and God or Abel and God. The question for us is, I think, when will you learn that it's not a competition with your brother or your sister? It's not a competition. God says to Abel, uh, to Cain, verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? That means there can be more than one winner. That's what God's saying. It's not a competition to get God's love. There can be more than one winner here if you do what is right. Don't worry about Abel. Don't worry about your brother. It's just about me and you. But Cain uh, turns on his brother. Instead of celebrating, which is, I think, what he should have done with Abel and then changing his own ways, he takes Abel down. I think something to think about is, you know, we all have reflex reactions. I switch on River Cottage, I get envious for a moment. And I, I've got an opportunity there. What do, I, what do I do with that envy? What do I do with it? I've got an opportunity. What do I do? And we all know that the answer is uh, not just to disconnect. You know, is it, would Cain have been right not just to, would he have done what, of, what was right, what was required of him, just not to kill his brother. Is that what's good and right? Just not to kill him, just to stay off the evening news, to not be on the police watch list? Is that everything God requires? Is that what's right? No. The Bible says, love one another. Do the opposite. How, how do you find the motivation to do that? To celebrate with your brother. We'll come to that in a moment. But the last thing I want you to notice is not only does Cain... Not love God, he's unloving towards God, he's not only unloving towards his brother, but finally, he is unloving toward himself. 
In fact, to be unloving towards God, to be unloving toward your brother, is to be unloving toward yourself. Have a look at the, in verse 14, have a look at the results, if you will, of Cain's actions, of the murder of his brother. What happens when you murder someone? Have a look. There's, there's physical ramifications. Verse 14, he's, God, you are driving me from the land. There's physical repercussions. There's spiritual repercussions. God, you are making me hidden from your presence, Cain says. There's psychological problems. He becomes a restless wanderer on the earth. And then there's social problems. And whoever finds me will kill me, Cain says. The result, verse 13, Cain says to the Lord, my punishment or my guilt is more than I can bear. This unlove towards God, this unlove towards my brother has meant unlove toward himself. His punishment is more than he can bear. In fact, his life is destroyed. He's destroyed himself. I think we need to hear this because I think we often think that I can get away with in any particular action in life or I can get away with not loving God. I can get away with not loving my brother. I'm just going to do this thing that's just loving for me. We think that's an option. We think that works. We think I can live in such a way that I forget about God and I forget about my neighbor and I just think about myself and life's going to work. I think what we see here is the opposite. Actually, this is the irony of selfishness, isn't it? That we think I'm, I'm going to achieve something by just loving self. That's what Cain does. And yet, as a result, his life is destroyed. Life works best when we are for God and when we're for others. That's when we're for ourselves. We're God's creatures. He's made us to be social, to be in love with one another. And when we reorientate life around ourselves, we're actually disorientating ourselves. And it will be destructive. This is us. This is us. We might be tempted to look at this story and go, that's Cain. It's better to be like Abel. I'm going to try really hard and be like Abel. But I think we are more like Cain than we would like. We are little rocket men and women in a power play with God and with others, envious of those around us, armed and dangerous, with the potential to ruin everything. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Well, if we are like Cain, the New Testament says there's one who is like Abel. There's one who is better than Abel, actually. Hebrews 12, we turn to the New Testament again to understand this story. It says, You, Christian, have come to God, the judge of all, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, Jesus' blood, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does this mean? Well, Abel's blood said, There is unlove in the world, God, do something about it. It cries out for justice. Christ's blood says, There's unlove in the world, and I've done something about it. That's what God says. 
There's unlove in the world and I've done something about it. Abel's blood said, good people shouldn't die. There's an injustice going on. Christ's blood says the, the only good person died for the rest of us who were bad. And in Cain and Abel's day, to be accepted, you had to offer the perfect offering. If you obeyed and you've got to obey first, then you'll be accepted. Well, in Christ, because of Christ's blood and because his death wasn't just the murder of a good person, but the sacrifice of the one for many, we are accepted and therefore we can obey. That's the better message that Christ's blood speaks to us today. Imagine if you knew that your relationship with God was locked in. You'd been accepted. You were approved. Then how would you live? How would you act? Of course you could turn to your brother when he did well and and celebrate with him. In Christ's murder, in his blood, we are accepted. In his offering, because he lived the perfect life as a carpenter, as a brother, as a son, because he gave the perfect offering to God, we're accepted. And therefore, we can obey. And in whatever we do this week, we can honor God with our lives. This is a story of our unlove, but it's also a story of God's love for us, God's unfailing love for us. Why don't we pray together? Lord, for our envy, we are sorry and repent. For all the fake worship, where we just do it on the outside but not on the inside, we're sorry, forgive us. And we thank you for this better message in Christ's blood that you accept us, you forgive us. How do we know that we're loved by God and accepted because of Christ's blood? Amen.